So I, I want to um, I want to let you guys in on um, something I've discovered as I get grayer and grayer, and um, it's that parenting is probably the hardest thing in the world. Second to one thing I'll tell you about in a second, but there's some parents right now clapping. Uh, can I get an amen from some parents out there? Parenting is really, really hard. Joel, come on up here and, and get this thing figured out. Uh, Joel's about to be a parent pretty soon, so uh, praise the Lord. Excited about that. He's going to understand the pain of parenting pretty soon. But what, what I'm, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, my kids are in the congregation right now. Uh, a number of them are, and it's going to, did, did we get to work? Okay, we got to work. Joel, man, he's, the, he's Johnny on the spot. Can we give it up for Joel over here? Okay, I'm going to make sure I got my, okay, good. I got it. I got it in the right place. Uh, Joel loves attention. It's his favorite thing in the world. Now, he hates it. He's dying right now inside. But Joel, we love you. Thank you for being here. Uh, so here's, here's what's interesting about my own kids in the congregation right now. Is this going to sound like I don't like my own kids uh, every once in a while? And I just want to say very clearly, I love my children. In fact, that's part of the problem. The, the problem with parenting is that God gives you these creatures that you love with every fiber of your being. The most important thing in the world and you give everything for them. I mean, you, you want the absolute best for them. And then God commissions us and calls us to raise them up in his ways, to give them everything they need so they can thrive in this world. And we invest in them, we love in them, we pour ourselves into them, we, we try to advise them and counsel them and, and steer them where they need to go because we love them so much. There's just one problem with the whole system. God forgot to tell our children they need our direction. And so they buck against it all the time. Like it, it's, I saw this probably the, the most clearly in this little sign that a, a friend of mine, a neighbor actually gave us about teenagers. I think we have a picture I want you to put up on the screen. Teenagers, tired of being harassed by your stupid parents, act now. Move out, get a job, pay your bills while you still know everything. That, that's it. Okay, bring that thing down. That, listen, I love my teenagers so much. I do. I can hear my wife laughing over there somewhere. I love my teenagers. But that's kind of a classic teenage thing, right? The, 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 the most ironic thing about parenting is the older the get, they get, the more they need your advice and the less they want it. It's the weirdest thing. I, I've probably seen it played out the most in teaching my children how to drive. Uh, if you've done that, like there used to be a day where you get to send them off to class and like they, somebody else has to put up with them. But now, you know, cost-effective way is aceable. You train them yourself, which means you got like 30 hours in the car where you're driving around with these children that you love. And, and the hardest part about training a child to drive is that you are putting this precious child of yours behind a hunk of metal that could kill them, you, and everyone else on the road. And they have to listen to you, but they don't want to listen to you. So you're teaching them and you're going, okay, you need to slow down. They go, why? Because I told you to, that's why. And I know what I'm talking about. Oh, you got you to start breaking earlier. Start breaking earlier. Why? Why? I'm okay. No, you're not okay. Start breaking earlier. The, the worst, I'm not going to name which kid. I've, I've trained multiple children to drive. I'm not going to name which of my children did this, but we were coming into a turn where you have like a yield and you come to the other side and, and they kind of did a quick little glance. They didn't really see anything. They just went. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you got to stop and look like two or three times. You got to make sure they go, no, no, I'm fine. And then it, it strikes you as a parent, like you've got like five hours of collective drive time and you're telling me who's got 30 years of drive time that you know better than I know. But, but that's kind of like the, the struggle, isn't it? Like you, you, you desperately need to be told what to do, but you don't want to hear a lick of it. Now, I, I, here's, here's the rub. 
That's not just a teenage problem. That's a human problem. Yeah, teenagers are going to start clapping. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Tell my parents. It is every one of our problem. We need to be told what to do, and we hate being told what to do. Probably one of the clearest examples of this in, in uh, culture was back in the 80s with a song that Madonna had called Papa Don't Preach. I don't know if you know that song. Probably coming around, Papa Don't Preach. I'm in trouble. You're, you're going to be stuck in your brain forever now. And, and that, that song has this lyric in there that puts it together that just shows this beautifully. So if you know the song, it's uh, before some of y'all's time, but it's about teenage pregnancy and a girl who gets pregnant wants to keep her baby, but her friends are telling her to give up the baby. And there's a line where she says, Daddy, I need some advice, please. And then the next line is, Papa, don't preach. Like, that's, the, that's the rub. Please, Daddy, tell me what to do. And Daddy says, hey, why are you getting so preachy? Because you asked for it. But, you know, we need it, but we don't want it. But don't, don't, don't get so preachy. Don't, don't tell me what to do. It's what makes parenting so hard. Anytime we give advice, it comes off like we're being preachy. But let me go ahead and tell you, I, I think parenting is the second hardest thing because the hardest thing is actually having as your job description a preacher. Uh, my job is to step on your toes. My job is to give you truth and tell you what to do according to God's word, and you don't want to hear it. That does not set me up for success. And the truth is, the more I start stepping on toes up here, the less you start showing up out there. Because people don't like to be told what to do. Why, why are you getting all preachy, preacher? We, we don't like it, but we desperately need it. And listen, this could sound like I just want some job security, but you're going to have to roll with me on this one. You desperately need me preaching God's word to you. You need preaching. I know it doesn't sound great. It seems expendable. Like I'd rather just have Reggie leading us in some songs. Can we just do that the whole service? But you desperately need preaching because you live in a society right now that is bombarded with confusion, that is anxious, that is overwhelmed, that is depressed, and that is bucking against authority. And more than ever in your life, do you need God's authority and God's truth? And that comes through preaching. You need preaching. But let me also tell you, you and I, though we desperately need preaching, we are not the first society to need it. In fact, we're going to begin a six-week journey through a little bitty book called Titus. And the whole context of that book is Paul sending Titus to an area where they were much like ours, a culture that was broken, that was confused, that was overwhelmed, that was depressed, that was anxious, that needed God's truth, but they were bucking against it. And so in this little three-chapter book, he's going to speak to that culture, and inadvertently, he's going to speak to our culture that is struggling with the same things. And I think the truth will be applicable almost 2,000 years later. So I want you to open up your Bible, if you will, to the book of Titus. It's in the New Testament. It's going to be Titus, and we're going to go over to chapter 1, and we're going to begin right at the very first at the beginning of it. Now, while you're looking for Titus chapter one, if you have to go to the first table of contents, you got Old Testament, New Testament, look over there, you'll find Titus getting toward the end of the Bible. Little bitty book, you can almost miss it. But there's a context to which it's written. So Paul had planted a church in this island called Crete, which is in the Mediterranean. And it was a, it was a tough ground to plant a church in, but he had gone through a missionary journey. He had preached the gospel. People had come to faith. The church had been planted. Then Paul moves on. And as he's continuing to spread the church around the Roman Empire, he hears back word that this little island of Crete and the believers there are struggling because heresy is starting to creep into the church. 
The, the brokenness of society is beginning to make crooked what had been straight. The gospel is getting contorted. And so Paul sends Titus to go over to that little church in Crete to straighten things out. Now, let me tell you about Crete. Crete was actually known to be hostile toward the gospel, depraved and broken. It had a reputation. In fact, one of the greatest insults you could give somebody was to call them a Cretan. I, actually, I, it's still an insult today. I, I joke around and I'm like, you bunch of Cretans. Like you say that every once in a while, maybe not even knowing why. It's because the island of Crete had such a poor reputation that if you ever call somebody a Cretan, man, that was the lowest dig you can give. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll make it into verse 12 of chapter one, and you'll read about what their own people say about themselves. It says, a prophet among the Cretans says that Cretans are a bunch of liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. How about that for a description? But that's who they were. They were broken, depraved, hostile toward the gospel. Okay, let me just let me stop and make a little bridge here. You do realize that right now in our culture, more than ever before in, in this country we live in, in this moment, we have a country and a culture that is hostile toward the gospel and depraved and broken. You know that, right? We are in desperate need, like, just like the Cretans were, of truth to come banging in and making a change. And so the apostle Paul sees the problem in Crete and sends Titus to go over there and straighten it out. Now let me tell you about Titus. Titus was a heavy hitter. He was one of Paul's hitmen. Paul had a number of people. He had Timothy, he had Epaphras, he had Titus and a few others. And he would send them to these church plants to establish health in these broken places. And so he sends him to the island of Crete and he basically gives him two instructions. He says, I want you to put authority over the church and I want you to shove the gospel down their throats. That's what they need, authority and the gospel, those two things. He says, I want you to preach truth to them. And here's the message I want you to give them. I'm giving you the entire book summarized in one quick statement. You are so screwed up you need the gospel of Jesus Christ shoved down your throat whether you want it or not. And he says, Titus, take it to him. That was the whole message that he gave him. Now, what's interesting is that that entire message is encapsulated in the first four verses, which you probably skip over when you read the book. It's called the greeting. But this morning, we're gonna spend the entire rest of the time looking in those four verses because they are so rich with truth. So if you have Titus chapter one, I wanna begin in verse one. Listen to what it says. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Okay, so again, you have a greeting and you're going, okay, yeah, he's just going, it's, it's from Paul to Titus and you move on and you miss the depth of the theology that he just laid out in front of us in those four verses. So in these four verses, he gives Titus the key to straightening out what had gotten crooked in the church on the island of Crete. And basically he tells us in verse three, it's preaching. If you look back at that verse, he had mentioned it. He says, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching, which, which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our savior. It is preaching that is gonna come and change everything in this island. It's gonna make right all the things that have gone wrong. Preach to them because that is the thing that changes. It's preaching. And again, I wanna to suggest to you that what you most need today is the preaching of God's word. You need it declared over you whether you like it or not, whether it steps on your toes or not. And one of the main reasons why 
is because at the end of the day, preaching will bring life to you, which is probably why some of you struggle so much with preaching, why you might, might rather do without it because you've been around a lot of preaching that didn't produce life. You've been around some preaching that was just a bunch of knowledge, okay, this fact, this fact, this fact, this fact, and you go home and you were just bored to tears. You just fell asleep at about minute three because it was just info. Or maybe it was just beating you down over and over again. You're, you're such a scumbag. You do this wrong. You do this wrong. And you were just beaten over the head with the Bible. And by the time the service was over, you were just bleeding on the floor and you had to slither your way out. That's not godly preaching right there. That's just somebody who's got an ax to grind. Somebody who just likes tearing people down. That, that, don't sit under that kind of preaching. That's not the purpose of preaching. The purpose of preaching at the end of the day is to breathe life into you, is to enrich your soul, is to produce hope inside of you. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt sometimes because every once in a while, God has to bring out a hammer and he's got to break some things down. He's got to take a scalpel and he's got to cut some things out, do some surgery. But at the end of the day, the, the end goal will always be life, will be hope, will be an expectation that God can do something. Tear down the old foundation to build a new foundation on which Christ is the keystone. So preaching may hurt sometimes, it needs to, but it'll end in life. So you gotta watch out for the two extremes. The one extreme, which is just beat you, beat you, beat you, beat you, leave you dead. Or the other extreme, which is no, life is good, everything's fine, you're good, don't worry about it. Love Jesus, love others, everything's fine. Both of those are a danger point. There has to be the moment of calling out in the moment of healing, which is what makes preaching different than any other kind of talking. This isn't a TED talk that we do on the stage. This isn't just an info dump. I'm not just teaching you things. I'm preaching. And preaching always has two parts to it, giving you truth and then calling you to respond to that truth, which is why at the end of every single service, we have a moment for you to take a step of faith. We don't do it to be rote and routine. We do it because this is preaching. This is, this is me coming before you saying, here's truth. What are you going to do with it? And you desperately need the preaching of God's word. As long as the content of that preaching is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what makes preaching effective. That's exactly what Paul was getting at back in verse one. I want to go back to verse one. I want you to see what it says. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle called to preach. Why? For the sake of the truth, excuse me, of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So he said, I've been entrusted as an apostle. I'm a slave. I'm a servant of Christ, but I'm an apostle who's got the authority to preach. And here's the content. He tells us two things. And this is where I'm going to ask you to start writing down. So we're going to, we're going to start uh, taking some notes over here. And I'm, I'm going to try to do this in a way that hopefully will help you understand Paul's teaching in this beginning point. But uh, it's, um, it's a very simple idea. So faith and knowledge. Those are the two things that he puts out in the beginning right there. He says, I, I preached for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth. Now, these two things, faith and knowledge, they form the two pillars on which the Christian faith stands. If you remove either one of these two, immediately the Christian faith will crumble. They're, they're symbiotic. They have to go together. So faith has to be born from knowledge and knowledge has to lead to faith. And if you take either one of those out, then you have a, a faith that can have no power whatsoever. So let me, let me explain what I mean by that. So if you have faith, but it's not based on knowledge, what you have is this, this empty expression of feeling 
that cannot do anything for you. And it's very, very common today. We believe faith is to believe in a higher power, some kind of divine being, and I can leave that ambiguous and be okay as long as I trust fervently in my heart that there's a divine being. And there are so many places where you will hear this message. Listen, all people of faith, they're, they're all believing in the same divine power. It's just we're looking at the mountain from different angles. And so maybe you have one faith and you have another faith and you have another faith. And, but we're all people of faith climbing the same mountain to get to God. And we just have different understandings of, of how we get to God. But it, it's faith. That is faith without knowledge. Because the scriptures teach us something different. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's this point. There's no other way to the top of this mountain unless you come through me. I'm, I'm the gate. You're gonna, the pathway starts with me. It continues with me. It ends with me. And so if your faith is not based on the knowledge of what Jesus Christ says is true, there's no power in it. Because the moment hardship comes, you won't know which way to steer. It's, it's like you're driving on a road that's got a cliff on both sides, but you're blind and you're just turning whichever way you want. You're going to drive right off that cliff. You need truth to guide you. And so faith can only have power when it is based on knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And specifically, it says the knowledge of the truth, faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth. Well, what's truth? According to the word of God, truth is very simple. Truth is the message that our God is good and our God is holy and he loves us. Who cares? Any of you in here believe that? God is good. And he is holy. He loves us. But there's also another part of that truth. You and I are screwed up. We have taken the God who loves us, who breathed life into us, has been nothing but good to us and rebelled against him and chosen our own pathway and said, I can do it better than you. You, you've been driving for 30 years. I've been driving for five hours, but I know what I'm doing, God. I got this. And we take our own pathway, rebel against God. And there's the worst part of that truth is that you and I have screwed up the best thing we had going, our relationship with Almighty God. The only thing that could satisfy us, the, the real thing that our hearts long for, being with God, because he's holy and we're unholy, we have screwed it up. We can no longer be with him. And there's nothing we can do to change it because we just keep on messing up again and again and again. But the truth is also, the father knew that, and so he sent his own son to come down, God in the flesh, so he could live the life we were supposed to live in complete obedience to God. He died on a cross so that all of our sins could be thrown upon him, went into the grave, three days later rose up from the dead so that he could save us and reconcile us to the father. And the very thing our hearts long for, almighty God, we can have again when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. When your faith is based on the knowledge of the truth, then you realize that when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that at the end of the day, knowledge of the truth is knowledge of Jesus. When our faith is based on who Jesus is, that's when everything changes because faith and knowledge come together. But knowledge by itself is not alone. It must be coupled with faith. And I will say one of the danger points of those of us who've grown up in church is we can have a lot of knowledge and not couple it with faith. Faith is not a belief or thought alone. Faith is an action. If you look at the way Hebrew and Greek define the term faith, it is always in the sense of an action that is taken. You faith something. It means to take what you know and to put it into practice. So faith is a movement. And that's where we most grow weary, where we most mess up. 
is that we know the truths of who Jesus is and we just don't imitate them. We just don't put them into practice. We got way more knowledge than we have obedience. And listen, there are tons of people who call themselves Christians. There may even be many of them in this room. And they could tell you all about obscure verses of the Bible. They could quote Jesus. They could rehearse for you the gospel message that I just gave you. They, know all, they could tell you about the end times. They got all this knowledge, but they don't walk in faith. Listen, if you have knowledge without faith, it's like drinking a canteen full of sand in the middle of the desert. It will only kill you. It will only make you drier and drier. Knowledge puffs up. It doesn't build up unless it's coupled with faith. But when you put faith and knowledge together, when, when these two merge into one, something crazy happens. An explosion takes place that becomes this catalyst in your life where you begin to become somebody brand new. Have, have any of you ever taken like a two liter of Coca-Cola and gotten some Mentos and dropped them in before? I would do it on stage, but it would make a terrible mess. I, I wanted to, but then I thought better. But if you do it, like you just drop it immediately, an explosion will happen. It'll start shooting up like 20 feet in the air because there's a chemical reaction. I don't know what causes it. Some of you may know. I don't know what it is. Between the Coca-Cola and the Mentos, the moment they touch each other, boom, an explosion happens. That's the same thing that happens when faith and knowledge come together in a person. When faith and knowledge come together in you, something explosive happens where you get projected forward in your, in your Christian faith. You, you start getting propelled into a, a new era of your life. In fact, automatically when these two come together, a new thing forms. There will be a result. Godliness. It was actually back in verse one, it talks about how he's an apostle for the sake of, of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Now, when it says which accords with, that, that Greek word is kata. It's the same Greek word he used before when it said for the sake of the faith, it was kata. So that's what it means, for the sake of or for the purpose of. So you got faith and knowledge, which accords with or for the sake of godliness. And here's this point. When faith and knowledge come together, it explodes into godliness. You will begin to live a godly life because you know who Jesus is. You know what it looks like. You believe that his ways are the best. And so when you bring those together, boom, you start imitating Jesus. Okay, now I'm about to get a little bit preachy on you. I'm about to step on some toes. Just know I know it, you know it, and I need to say it. If you tell me that you believe in Jesus Christ, but your life is no godlier than the unbeliever in the world, then you are lying to yourself and everyone else around you. You cannot say you have faith in Jesus Christ and not be propelled toward godliness. There will be something wrong. Either it's an uh, issue with faith or knowledge. Those two have not come together. Maybe you don't know Jesus's ways, and so you keep living an ungodly life. Or maybe you know Jesus's ways, but you don't really believe it's the best way. I would rather go to that party. I would rather drink that drink. I would rather look at that image. I would rather do whatever. It makes me feel better immediately. And so I go to that. I believe that's better than God's ways. I don't really have faith in it. But when you really believe God's ways are the best and you know his ways, you will automatically begin to walk in those ways. Godliness will be the result of it. And here's what's great. This is just the first of a chain reaction that takes place. Because it's not just godliness. Once you see your life begin to change, Something else happens. It takes you into a new movement. You get this beautiful thing called hope. It's exactly what you saw back in verse two. So it talks about 
the, the faith of God's elect and the, the knowledge of the truth, which leads to godliness. And then verse two, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. In hope of eternal life. And the consequence of seeing godliness, your life changed, is that your hope increases. You begin to realize this stuff is true. Look, I'm becoming a different person. I used to struggle with pornography and now I'm being released from it. I used to not be able to give up that substance and now I'm able to give it up. I'm being changed. And that builds inside of you a hope that this whole thing is real. But it's, a, it's not just a temporary hope. It says it's hope of eternal life. Listen, when you have hope in eternal life, everything changes. You become a different person when you have hope. And not just like this wishy-washy hope, but a security and certainty about eternal life. Again, this is where most people go wrong. They think that their, their entrance point into heaven and eternal life is if the good in their life outweighs the bad. And with that weight system going on, we keep screwing up. We try to do a few good things. We just don't know. Is, is the good way more than the bad? Am I going to make it or not? That is not hope. That's a scary place to be. You never even know if you're going to make it. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, Jesus, he completed all the obedience that I should have completed on earth. On the cross, when he yelled, it is finished, he meant he had done everything the father had asked him to do. He had earned full obedience. The gospel says he hands us that obedience so I no longer have to perform. It's not based on me. Look back at verse two. It says, a hope in eternal life which is based on the promises of God who does not lie. Let me tell you what that means. It means my hope of salvation is not based on my efforts, it's based on the character of God and the character of God never changes. He has promised me eternal life and he doesn't lie. Listen, when you know you are going to heaven, when you know that you're just like a wisp of smoke on this earth and then there's eternity, you start spending your money differently. You start going, why am I wasting my money on things of this earth when I can send them ahead for all eternity? You start becoming generous. You start worrying a whole lot less about your career and where you're going to make it because you know it's not going to last. You start investing more in your children and your loved ones and in the church community because you know that's what lasts. Your whole priority shifts when you know you have a hope of eternal life. Everything inside you changes. And what happens is it leads to the last thing, the thing that every single one of us in this world is looking for. He gave us a little glimpse of it back in verse four. I want to go back to verse four and look at it. It says, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. It says grace and peace. And that right there, that's the key. This is what everybody in this world is looking for. Peace. We just want peace. We're so troubled in this life. We're so anxious about what's coming next. We're so overwhelmed all the time. We're in this low depression because we don't know how things are going to work out. We're so confused. And what we need is the peace of God. Whole world is looking for it and they're finding it or trying to find it in all the wrong places. But you want to know where peace comes from? He said it at the beginning, grace and peace. Peace comes from grace because ultimately biblical peace, shalom, is us being reconciled to Almighty God. We have peace with God. The one thing our hearts most long for and need is God. And whenever Jesus Christ becomes the forefront and we believe in him for salvation, we get reconciled to God, the one thing that we need. And what washes over us is peace. And we know we can't lose it, so we're no longer afraid. 
I'm not going to read it, but one of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture is Ephesians chapter 2. And it starts off with a hard message. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You are screwed up, broken, whatever you want to say. That's who you are. But then verse 4. It's an incredible verse. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. No hope whatsoever. We're not, we're not struggling to stay afloat in the middle of the ocean. We're dead at the bottom of the ocean, gone. But God, who is rich in mercy, he went down and pulled us out, breathed life back into us, and we're saved by grace in his work and his work alone. Let me tell you why that matters. If you're saved by his work, if he earned it and you didn't, that means you can't unearn it. You can't lose it if he's the one who won it for you. So it builds this peace that you know, no matter how often you screw up, you go running right back to God because you know his arms are open to you. You go crawling right back in the lap of almighty God. And it's in the lap of God that you find peace. So I, have, I have one of my children uh, who is a, a daddy's girl and uh, she's one of our younger kids and her favorite place in the world, I'm proud to say, is right in my lap. Anytime we're watching a movie, anytime we're doing anything, she will always crawl up into my lap. And I love the affection that I get with her, but I've noticed something about when my daughter's in my lap. Nothing else in the world even matters. She's not scared of anything. She's still under the delusion that I have superpowers and I can stop everything. And I'm not telling her otherwise because I love it. She believes that a tornado's coming. I can just put my hand out there and stop it. She's not afraid. If she's in my lap, she knows that her daddy's got it and she's at complete peace. I just cuddle up with her. If she's hurt, I'll pull her up in my lap. I'm not doing anything medical other than just kissing her cheek and she feels better automatically because she knows her daddy's got it. Her peace comes from being in my lap. This is why the gospel is what brings us peace because it says you've been reconciled to almighty God, the infinite one who loves you. It says, come on up, crawl up into my lap. Let me put my arms around you. You know that, that illness that you're confronted with? Don't worry. Daddy's got this. That financial struggle, you don't know how you're going to make it to the end of the month? Don't worry. Daddy's got this. That problem at work, that issue with your child, that mountain you're facing again? Don't worry. You're in daddy's lap and daddy's got this. And then you have peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because God will supply all of your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every single one of them. You have nothing to fear. You have peace because you understand the grace of Jesus Christ. And then this crazy thing happens. When you experience that peace firsthand, it leads to more faith and knowledge. It, it, it just, it makes you now know experientially you have peace. You used to be overwhelmed and exhausted. Now you have peace and you know more about who Jesus Christ is and what he can do. And your faith in him increases. And then that leads to more godliness and hope and peace. And so you start to get this thing that looks like this. Should have growing and growing and growing as it spirals to bigger and bigger and bigger, more godliness, more hope, more peace, at least the more faith and knowledge. And it creates something catalytic in you that the, the enemy himself cannot stop. But it all comes from those first two words, faith and knowledge. That's where it comes from. If you have any struggle with those three, it always come back, comes back to those two words. You're struggling either with faith or you're struggling with knowledge. 
Now listen, I told you before that I'm preaching right now. I'm, I'm not just teaching. I'm not just talking. I'm preaching. And let me tell you why that matters. I cannot give you this truth and then not call you to respond to it. You right now need to get yourself ready to respond to Almighty God. I've given you knowledge, but faith is your step to take. And I'm going to challenge you to take it. And I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable. And I'm going to intentionally do it, not because I like making you feel uncomfortable, because I know you need it. Right now, you're not growing spiritually. You're not seeing the move of God. You're not experiencing the answers of God in prayer. And maybe one of the reasons why is you have not let faith and knowledge come together in every area of your life. And so the explosions aren't taking place. You got the Coke bottle right here and the Mentos right here, but you forgot to put them together. And I'm going to give you a chance to put them together and watch the explosions of God take place. And I'm going to invite you in the very areas we're talking about. Because I think there are some of you, and you're, you're right here, you're struggling with peace. And you're anxious. You're overwhelmed. You got something in your life, and you're a person of faith, and you're going, I, I know I shouldn't be anxious, but I am. Let me tell you, if you're struggling, it's, it's one of these two things. It's faith or it's knowledge. That's what's going wrong. Maybe you've forgotten what the Word of God says. Do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Maybe you didn't know that, but if you're struggling with peace, it's a very clear instruction. Let your request be made known to God. Lay them at the feet of Almighty God. And then a peace of God, which surpasses all your circumstances and understanding that you shouldn't have, will wash over you in Christ Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you in a little bit to take a step of faith. We're going to have prayer team members and counselors down front, and, and I'm going to invite you to, to come in a moment and to let your request be made known to God. Listen, every Sunday we have a chance for people to respond, because again, this is preaching. And preaching is not just knowledge, it's faith and knowledge, action and knowledge. And there are many of you who have prayer requests, and you every single week just sit in your chair or stand where you are, and you let everybody else be prayed for, and you don't ever go. And I'm going to invite you to put your faith into action and say, I refuse to sit here any longer struggling with peace. If what I'm supposed to do is to take my requests to God and let them be known, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to come find a prayer team member and let them pray for me. Or maybe I'm just going to get on my knees at these steps and take it before God myself. Either one of those are, are fine. But you need to take a step of faith if you're struggling with peace. Or, or maybe you're here and you're actually struggling more with this right here, with godliness. You got to be honest with yourself. You may be fooling me and everyone else around you, but the Father knows whether you're walking godly or not. And he's not ready to punish you for, for being ungodly. He's ready to heal you from your ungodliness because he has more for you. But the only way that healing comes is if you confess it and repent. And maybe you have to say, okay, God, I've been ungodly. And listen, it can be, it can be the worst sins of all. Whatever society, murder and adultery and hate and bigotry, all these terrible sins, God can forgive it. Or maybe it could be these socially acceptable sins. It's, it's gossip. It's speaking a harsh word. It's, it's hurting somebody you love. It's something that, that maybe society doesn't look down on, but you know it's wrong. It doesn't matter whether it's big or small in the eyes of the world. If it's ungodliness, you need to repent of it. Maybe what you need to do is remember faith and knowledge, because it's always one of those two. 
Either you don't know the ways of Christ and you need to be taught the ways of Christ. Well, more likely, you know the ways of Christ. You've just chosen other ways because you thought those would be more engaging or more pleasurable. And maybe you need to repent and say, God, forgive me for not having faith. I repent and I choose not to walk in anymore. Maybe you need to come down to these steps. You don't need to talk to me. You don't need to talk to anybody else if you don't want to. You can get down and talk to Jesus and say, forgive me. I know you're going to accept me. I come to you. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. But I want to say one last thing. There's some of you and your issue is right here. It's hope. Right now, you don't feel hope. You, you don't feel certainty in it. You don't know if you're going to be with God forever, if heaven is your destiny or not. You feel very unsure about yourself. You're trying really hard, but you don't know if it's working or not. Listen, if that's you, the only place you're going to find hope is when faith and knowledge come together. You are saved. Here's the knowledge by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. All you can do is ask him to forgive you of your sins and invite him to take over your life. And in that moment, you're healed. That's the knowledge. Remember, faith is an action step. And let me tell you what that action step is. You got to publicly declare your faith in Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to know what step of faith to take, but it's not hard when it comes to placing your faith in Jesus because the word of God tells us that the action step is always expressing it publicly through baptism. All the way back to this book, the island of Crete, 2,000 years ago, is the same action step as it is today in the United States of America, right here, right now. Going into a body of water, going under the water, showing that you are dead and buried, coming out of that water, a brand spanking new person, washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, with him owning you. That's the faith step you've got to take. I believe there are some of you in here and you've been around this over and over and over again and you know you need to take the step of faith. And for whatever reason, you've let doubts, you've let fears, you've let complacency, you've let, I'll, I'll do it later uh, when there's a better time or when I'm more prepared, keep you from taking that step of faith. And you're stuck here in knowledge. You're not walking in faith and you're wondering why you're not seeing the move of God. The explosion happens when those two come together. And today that explosion can happen before you even leave this place. Because we're going to have pastors and counselors down front. You can say, all right, I'm ready. I need to take that step of faith. I'm ready to be baptized. I want those to come together in my life. I know who Jesus is and I'm ready to place my faith fully in him. If that's you, you come find us. We'll make sure that you understand the gospel completely, that your faith is in Christ. We have a t-shirt you can put on that says, Jesus in my place, the message of the gospel. And before you leave this building today, even after everybody's dismissed and gone, you can get baptized on that baptistry back there and say, I'm ready to take the step of faith you tell me to take, God. But every step of faith begins with just one step. And that may mean you taking a step out of your chair, coming down to the front. But if you're ready for that explosion of divine power in your life, that's where it starts. So I want to invite you to stand up right now, if you will. Every single one of you. I'm going to invite you to prayer team, staff, why don't you make your way to the front? Let's get set up around here. And by the way, we have prayer team members who are fanned out on the sides as well in the front. So you can find one of them. They have lanyards or they have name tags on there and you can see them and they'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. But if you're here today and you're in one of those places, you, you need peace, then let your request be made known to God. Let us pray for you or come bow down. If, if you need to come back to godliness, then Repent, come bow down on the steps and say, Jesus, forgive me, I'm coming back to godliness. Or if you need eternal hope, based not on your effort, but the character of Almighty God who doesn't lie, 
you let us know. Let's let faith and knowledge come together and you can see the divine explosion of Almighty God. You have knowledge. The question is, will you have faith? I invite you to respond. Let's worship.